When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, what did you get as an Easter egg, anybody? Well, I'm not really an Easter egg person, to be honest. So, like, I'm not, I feel like the chocolate isn't the quality so I would want. There's, there's, so there's the depth, no, it's not the depth of that you would want, is it? It's not, I feel like it's mass produced. So I just don't know if the chocolate is really where it needs oh. to be for me. But I did get that a little. A huge slur. Well, News do you not think so? slams egg Easter manufacturers. <laughs> <laughs> do you not agree? Uh, what did you get? What did I get? Um, I got one of those ones, um... I can't remember who made Richard it. Richard likes a really fancy one. one. Yeah, yeah, Skelly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. property, not mass-produced It was full pink, yeah. though. Like, it was actually, yeah, uh, it was like... I actually, did like, it, I actually it. didn't get an Easter egg at all. What I did get was an enormous box of Scots Clan, which I was really pleased with. So you're not an egg person school. either. It's not that I'm not an egg person, just that the, the shops were all sold out of eggs by the time... Oh, I would have got you one had I known that. What did you get for Easter? A lot of flack. Well, so I did get... I did get a little... I nearly got cancelled for Easter, actually. You are... Hang on, why? My initials yeah. are now really controversial, incidentally. Like, because you posted, My you posted a photograph of your favourite So I got a little bunny, like a little white lint bunny for Easter, which I like the white chocolate. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> put it up with a picture of a cup of tea in my favourite mug which happens to have a Z on it Okay, which like is not a good idea in this day and age but course, I didn't Russian, like that did not occur logo, to me yeah. at the time when I put it up because okay. I was like in my innocence I was like this is my favourite so mug so will you now be renaming yourself for the duration of this conflict I'm going to start spelling my name like the Citrin Zara with an X I think <laughs> TS would wow. do it Zara like you know XK as if your initial cool. your, your original cool, initials yeah. weren't already valuable enough in Scrabble Hello and you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by the dynamic duo of news correspondents, Richard Chambers. Richard, hello. Hello. And Zara King. Zara, hello. hello. How are you? How are we spelling your name now? Are we? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm afraid to stick to the bed. We might need to abandon the bed, I think. Yeah, we're going to have to like reissue all the, the podcast notes and stuff so that you have to change your super on I didn't on think I'd need to clarify that, but incidentally... No, well, there you go. Listen, yeah. we're... we're we are living in, in wild, wild times, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of news um, this week, particularly in the last um, seven days or so, because ordinarily, I suppose you could say that when when the dole is off and when official Ireland is off, that sometimes it can be very quiet, but there's been a lot of news going on. I mean, just looking at our, our notes here, there's the follow-on from uh, the Kinahan story that we were talking about last week. There's the election in France. Obviously, there's everything going on in Ukraine. There's even the debate around, are they actually banning turf or what? So there's, actually, there's, there's, <laughs> there's plenty to get into, but I suppose we probably should start um, with the aftermath of the events in Sligo of the last week. I know there was a couple of funerals at the weekend of the two men who, who met such dreadful deaths. Uh, and, and Zara, you were doing some, some work on this during the week just about what appears to be a real uh, an, an aberration, just the, the significant spike in the number of violent attacks that there's been in Ireland in the last couple of while. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the Garda Press Office has been issuing um, statements about assaults on a daily basis over the last week, which has been kind of upsetting mm. and kind of shocking. Um, and over the weekend, even I was working Easter weekend and, I, I, you know, I was down in Limerick on Saturday. There had been a man uh, killed in a fatal assault on Friday night down there. Um, 
and again another attack over the weekend an English tourist who was attacked over the weekend oh, yeah, I, did yeah, that, I was yeah. in court on Monday I hadn't been in court in three years actually uh, much respect to Deborah and Sarah and Nicole who cover our courts yeah. on the team because uh, I forgot the courts is actually you need to pay a lot of attention in courts actually when you're working on cases like that but um, I mean there's just been seems to have been an awful lot of attacks and um, incredibly difficult for the families at the centre of those I was speaking to Trina O'Connor who is um, a criminologist about this and she was saying that actually there's been a lot of research um, from the last pandemic into the fact that there generally is a spot in crime actually after really? pandemics yeah okay. which I was a bit taken aback by as well but let's take a listen to what she had to say about that so I suppose I mean it's very sad for the families and the friends of the people that have been affected by this um, uptick that we're seeing in violence and we're seeing it right throughout the country I suppose we have to look at what's happening in Ireland in the context of coming out of a pandemic um, looking at studies from the last pandemic we can see that there was an uptick in violence because people are very stressed and when people's stress is heightened, that can lead to people being violent in a random way, lashing out against society, and that can really trigger antisocial behaviours in people. So I suppose when we look at community cohesion, during the pandemic we had to separate communities, people had to stay apart. Now I think we really need to be looking at how we can bring communities back to a sense of connectedness, to try and support people living together, making sure that people are in secure housing, making sure that people, the poverty that people are experiencing right now is um, mitigated as much as it can be because poverty also can be a trigger for violent behaviour because of the stress that comes with poverty. Yeah, that's fascinating from Trina O'Connor. It is one of just those those things which you don't expect to be what follows on from a pandemic. Mm. But like, I suppose when it is something which is so all-encompassing and so huge that it is going to have so many different spin-offs that nobody could have possibly expected. Mm. And this is, yeah, a very, very negative one, which is clearly having an impact in at least some of these assaults which are happening across the country. But you, mm. you do forget as well that, that lockdowns and, and pandemics, of course, that they are health events, but the lockdowns that follow and, and everything that follows, they are, not to get too nerdy about it, but they're sort of sociological things. So of mm. course that they are going to to manifest in, in very weird ways for people. And unfortunately then, as we've clearly seen with a lot of people there who are lashing out in in pretty extreme mm. ways. Yeah, I mean, even last Wednesday, I was down at another crime scene as well, just in the north inner city, um, a woman in her 80s who had died following an assault there as well. So I don't know, I just, I seems just personally for me as a journalist, I've covered more assaults in the last week than I think I've done in a single week in my career. Mm. It just seems to be a really sort of... I just of, can't remember. I, I've been knocking around newsrooms now for 12 yeah. years and I can't remember there being a spate of, no. of so many high profile ones in such a short period. Yeah, it's been really, really, it's been, it's been kind of, frightening mm. actually to see it happening. Uh, hopefully that's the, the end of that that particular uh, phase and we're not going to see this as an ongoing phenomenon. Uh, there is one um, major development that we've had. Uh, we recorded this on Wednesday evening uh, and Richard, you were covering the story last week about the, the sanctions against Daniel Kinahan and his father and brother and uh, today in the sports world, one very obvious manifestation of the knock-on effects of that. Mm. Yeah, things coming home to roost I think in the boxing world. Uh, MTK Global, which is the boxing brand which was co-founded uh, by... Uh, mobster Daniel Kinahan. Uh, it has now announced that it is ceasing global operations. Mm, why? Uh, because they say that they've got nothing to do with Daniel Kinahan. So then how would they be affected by anything that's happened in the last mm. week? They had one of the most interesting statements I've read in a long time. Um, have you a few lines of it there? I have a few lines of it here. Uh, as a business, we have faced unprecedented levels of unfair scrutiny and criticism since the sanctioning by the US government of Daniel Joseph Kinahan. They said it is a matter of public record that Mr. Kinahan's involvement in MTK ceased in 2017. Um, 
There is, is some though? dispute about yeah. that. I was going to say, there it's a matter of public claim by MTK, and very few other people seem to accept that account of events. Yeah. So that he's no longer involved in it. Mm. Now tell us who's in that stable. Who are the big names there? I mean, it's had a lot of people over the years. I mean, I think the most the, the golden goose, as um, Nicola Talent, uh, the crime reporter, would describe him, is uh, Tyson Fury. Okay, who is yeah. um, very world much lineal heavyweight boxing champion? Also, brother-in-law yeah. of Molly May. Those might be. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, well, like, um, always bring it back to Molly the Virgin May, Media who also programming. Went to, was it the World Irish Dancing Championships during the week? Molly no, May was that. Molly May. So apparently, sorry, we're totally off topic. Molly May apparently did Irish dancing. FYI, really? as a, a young girl, I saw Carlo Brian into well, we have yet. 24 hours in a day to work with Irish dancing. Well, you can make anything happen. <laughs> work hard. Anyway, another. But uh, just in terms of the last 24 hours yeah. with this, Tyson Fury, who of course was pictured with Daniel Kinahan mm. earlier on this year, has uh, tweeted in the past talking openly and apparently voluntarily about how great Daniel Kinahan is. He said that Daniel Kinahan should be the prime minister. Did he say that? He did put that on Instagram. He did yeah. not say he that. He did uh, on, on, on wow. Instagram. Uh, now he's like, oh, none of my business, nothing to do with me. And he, he tried to draw the parallel saying that oh, if, if somebody asked me about Ukraine, I'd say, well, that's not my business either. Despite the fact that like literally just three or four weeks ago, he was asked about Ukraine and, and openly answered in depth <laughs> about how wow. these other Ukrainian boxers who've went home to defend their country were heroes and that mm. if the UK got involved, he would sign up and fight against Russia the, and Ukraine. This is a slight tangent, but Tyson Fury can often be quite slippery in interviews because I remember when he was trying to promote an autobiography in the past and he had a really extensive interview with somebody, I think in the Sunday Times magazine, and they put it to him that, oh, well, you know, in your book, you talk about... X, Y, and Z. And Tyson Fury, just being naturally evasive in interviews, just went, haha, joke's on you, I don't have a book. Mm. And he had to be reminded, no, actually you do. You've oh, just stop. published a book. He that's, did not. That's the reason why we're doing this interview. So yeah. sometimes his approach to the media Joke's can be... Joke's on you, I don't have a book while he's yes, doing while a he's book. Yes, while he's promoting his own autobiography. So, yeah. But there has been <laughs> a, a, a really interesting level of kind of unfortunate statements from the boxing world since all of this happened last week with the US announcing mm. effectively that the Canadians mm. are wanted men. Uh, the when you say unfortunate, what do you mean? Like as in they're just... Just dumb. Right, oh. right. Okay. Um, the president so that's the, what we mean by unfortunate people. The, pre- the president of the WBC um, came out with a statement and he was like, um, on, what did he say? He, he, he distanced himself from Daniel Kinahan and he said that he made an innocent mistake in meeting Daniel Kinahan out of absolute ignorance of the situation. Now, this guy, having met Daniel Kinahan a couple of months ago, said that he's really supportive of what Daniel Kinahan is doing in the boxing world and um, that he, he basically said, I'm not the police, mm. so it's not my so, business. So the, the, and now he's like, well, actually... So the head, <laughs> bad, bad, my bad. The head of the World Boxing Council says that he naively bumbled into a full-throated, like absolutely unfailing endorsement of Daniel Kinahan as a promoter. Yes, he did. By but accident. like these Oops. people, but again, these people again, there's like they can be like, oh, I just didn't realize, and you're hearing that a lot. Oh, I just didn't realize. Mm. It's like this isn't new. No, it's been mm. going on for. F- how many no. years? Like there have been some members so, of the Irish press I mean, I suppose there is that kind of like ignorance is bliss thing, isn't it? Sort of if you don't see it, like you, you don't have to yeah. believe it kind of thing. But that's yeah. not good. So the ramifications clearly been felt and it's probably going to keep on spiralling mm. on. Like Tyson Fury is obviously the most high profile client uh, of that stable, but you also have a few of the, the former um, Irish Olympians, the likes of Michael Collin and Paddy Barnes, who've been um, part of the MTK books before as well. People who have, um, and this, this is going to sound like it's a bit of a vendetta, but they've been very heavy handed with the block button uh, indiscriminately against members of the media who are perceived to have slighted MTK 
yeah. even if they've they never actually... You? I've been blocked by one of them. Okay. Uh, I don't want to identify because I don't want to mm. sound like I'm cribbing or moaning. Mm. I literally don't think I've ever covered anything substantive about the Kinahans or MTK at all and found one day that I had been blocked by one of those boxers on Twitter. Uh, and I don't quite know why. Yeah. Uh, but obviously mm. th- th- those people are going to be affected. There are others, uh, and we were discussing this off air, um, Richard, about how... I feel, and I don't want to sound like I have kind of any sympathy for for anyone who gets involved in in those who have um, dodgy dealings, but boxing is a very precarious sport, particularly until you become very well established that if you are new to the the pro boxing ranks, it is a very precarious and often a very short-lived career. And if a lot of people... Literally, I can't. Yeah. So there are some people who are much further down the boxing food chain for whom this is their legitimate livelihood who are now going to find themselves without any kind of management or, or oversight or guidance because of what's happened to MTK. But at the same time, they can't have got into the game. Just as we were saying, they can't have got in and signed up with MTK not realising that there were some serious suggestions about who was ultimately pulling the strings in that organisation. Again, I suppose the point you make there is that if you're starting out maybe and you're, you know, you're looking for a break, you take the break, you get it. Yeah, but like a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the, like let's, let's just, let's just focus in on, on, on Tyson Fury. Like mm. Tyson Fury, has people around him. He pays enough advisors, enough Who money could advise him to know otherwise. what he's doing. Yeah. He's treated questions on the matter, I think it's fair to say, with contempt. There was a Sky Sports interview he did the other day where he was just like, just flipping off questions left, right and centre. Like he's like dodging punches. It's just really <laughs> poor. Um, and like, I just think this is going to be something where but a lot of people think- are going to be able to say now that, look, oh, I'm only aware now that the US government has said that this is a thing but reporting... So, so they, they, they didn't care what the Irish High Court has heard in the past or didn't care yeah, about but any like, of these it's not, it's not even just an Irish thing. Like, there's, it's been the UK has been saying it for ages and, you know, there's been good journalists around the world who've been carrying mm. the banner on mm. this. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how far boxing does go in sort of trying to distance himself entirely yeah. from Daniel Kinahan mm-hmm. and trying to rewrite history, I think, as well. It's going mm-hmm. to be something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of platforms on which you can be indiscriminately blocked by people that you didn't expect to, <laughs> um, is Elon Musk going to be blocking all of us uh, very, very shortly? Because um, Elon Musk, this is like the, the, the most significant corporate story mm-hmm. uh, possibly of 2022 so far, is that Elon Musk, the one-time founder of PayPal, now the man behind SpaceX and The Boring Company, um, literally that's what they're called, that's not a pejorative term, uh, and dig Tesla holes. and everything else. They, they literally yeah. dig holes, they bore holes, that's why they're the <laughs> boring company it's a pun um, he wants to buy Twitter uh, which has proven to be much more contentious a prospect than many people may have thought partly because why? Well, yeah why so contentious so Elon Musk is a the bluntest way to put it is that he is a complete absolutist about free speech mm-hmm. and Elon Musk has got it into his head that Twitter is now the, the 21st century equivalent of the telephone it is not a platform it is actually the means through which people communicate and Elon Musk has got it into his head that Twitter is therefore denying people their right to free speech by deciding who and who can't use the platform. Like, for example, Donald Trump, who mm. was still the president of the United States at the time that his account was indefinitely suspended. Yes. And he believes that basically Twitter is now... I think I still have a screenshot of that night from the account. I, I, think, actually, I think I've got a, I think a, a, the video where yeah, you're refreshing same, the page so I, and, and something has been suspended. Yeah. I think um, everyone screen captured that that night. I think they, I think they possibly yeah. did. Probably will be. So, realistically, yeah. So he, he has... So if Elon Musk has got it into his head... It was, not that we're at all gloating. No. Um, so Elon Musk has got it into his head that Twitter now needs to be sort of taken to task in some way because Twitter is the the, the village common. It is the, the means through which all international discourse now takes place. Mm. And therefore everyone should have the right to speak. And 
a lot of people would think on the face of it, yeah, that's kind of fair enough. The Twitter, and, and this is a major talking point for the last couple of years, how big tech companies have become gatekeepers to what is and isn't acceptable. And is it appropriate that Twitter or YouTube or Facebook have the right to decide what you can and can't see, particularly in times of elections, for example? And are they skewing the field by deciding what it is and isn't okay to consume? Mm. The problem is that... Uh, free speech to most people isn't actually as absolute as he's making it out because you don't have the right to you you can't look down the barrel of camera two there Richard and you can't say that Gavin Riley drowns kittens uh, I mean you could try Does he to he want that level of free speech where like you can say whatever you want about somebody without any fear well, of like, that's the consequence <laughs> a repercussion. of, of uh, free speech so that includes absolutism. trolling people and, and saying nasty things about people without any sort of consequence and, and outright libel that, for example, if, if, he's, if Elon that's Musk, the model he's, he's favouring, and that's the, the model natural consequence of being allowed to say anything you want online could be that he could then stand up and say that Zara King drowns kittens. And even if it isn't true, or even if you actually had a record as being an animal rights advocate, and mm. that this would be a serious slur in your good name, there would be nothing that you could say back to it. So it does have uh, other knock-on complications because so that you would have be no right of reply in that context. Well, this is it. Well, you'd have the right to reply, but you don't have the right to sort of have the defamatory thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't like just nip it at the bud the way that that works in in other countries. And ironically, Ireland is one of those countries where actually yeah, you almost can't say. say some things that are fair game to say because of the fear of libel action. But if you overcorrect too far in the opposite way, then you have a free-for-all where literally anyone could say anything at all they like on the internet, which is the direction that Elon Musk wants to go down. Um, but what is almost more remarkable is the degree to which Twitter is trying to uh, resist that because he's talking about, okay, I've bought 10% of the company effectively. I actually want to buy the whole lot, take it off the stock market, make it my own private play thing and I will control what is and isn't okay. And Twitter has actually gone out of its way to institute this this uh, mechanism, which they call a poison pill, mm. which is that if Elon Musk buys any more shares, they will flood the market with new shares so as to dilute the value of his stakeholding. Wow. But they will go to the existing stakeholders and say, here, do you want to buy more Twitter shares? We know we're not letting this guy take over, yeah. Because they're, they're actively going out of their way. They would literally be cutting off their own nose and devaluing all of their own property for the sake of trying to keep the company out of Elon Musk's hands. And you know, obviously we see over time uh, social media platforms, they kind of come and go, don't they? I mean, and they have their moment. Twitter's been one of those ones that steadily just sort of stayed there, hasn't yeah, it? In the background. Yeah. It has stuck around. I mean, it hasn't sort of died the death that maybe, I know Facebook hasn't really died the death, but for some people it Bebo. has. Bebo. You know, well, Bebo obviously is a good example mm, of that. But, RIP is a very popular website. No, I think he's just. I think he's wishing a, a soft repose to Bebo. I think. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, Bebo. Sorry, can we just take a moment for Bebo? I mean, it was iconic. No. What was your flashbox? I don't know if I had a flashbox. Flash no. well, of course you did. Everyone had a flashbox. Did and mo most people had OK Go doing their dance in the garden yeah. on treadmills. But anyway. Uh, no, I didn't have that one, I don't think. Do you remember you could like select your best friend on Bebo and stuff? Top and 16s, like top 16. Mm. Top 16s were highly controversial at the time. And then you could share the loves. Share the love. But you yeah. only have so many loves every day. And it starts off as one love per day and then and it, that became three, I think. Contentious and it became three. Yeah, it became three. By yeah. losing it in much the way that Twitter is trying to do. <laughs> remember like if, you, if your friend moved you out of their top 16 or you got shoved down into row two, you'd be like, that's the friendship done. Like. That happened to me. There was a bit of a league table set up. This is Was so... This, you, got, got, you got dropped you out, got of, the dropped out of the top 16. Got, well, no, I got bumped down in the top 16. I got it to as high as three in this person. Who did this to you? I'm not going to name names. No, don't name names, but tell us what was the relationship to this Just person. Friends, a friend of them. And like I was up there. Was I got it someone to... you fancied? No, no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. no, no. I got up to number three and then basically just started when it was like 
basically it was in the Champions League places. And he ended up... Because um, it was only top three back in the day. I ended up sliding all the way down to, to 16 yeah. and so there's were skipping up and I was just like... That's relegation zone. Yeah, but like, I mean, just the idea that you're 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 constantly ranking your friends. I think it's actually... It was a very toxic yeah. sort of thing. It was, in yeah, it was, it was yeah. great. You, you, you were constantly great. doing... It wasn't great. my leaving you cert, I'd say. constantly yeah. doing yeah. a top 30 hits of your friends trying to see who's going to be dropping out into the, the Vauxhall conference next time around. But I think the thing with the, the Twitter thing with Elon Musk is that uh, he isn't giving up. No. And this is probably going to be something which is going to hang around for, for quite some time. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, do you think it would change your relationship with Twitter if, if he were to... I, don't, like, I, I think it's one of those things where people talk to him, like, not, not that they talk too much well, about Well, both it. of you are probably one of the most, like, let's be honest, high profile people on Twitter in Ireland. Would it change, like, your feeling towards it? Would you still want to use it? I mean, how would you feel about it? Like, I mean, like, the thing about it is, is, like, people, people are rightly concerned about how things would change. But, like, that would be saying that Twitter is... Good already. <laughs> oh, like I've taken it. Twitter is already yeah. a troublesome sort of place. No, I've taken a massive like, step back. The, from the funniest thing, the funniest. Well, is it funny or is it like tragicomic? That one of the the things which has happened is that the other super large shareholder in Twitter is Prince Al Walid of Saudi Arabia, and um, he's in a bit of a debate with whether or not Elon Musk taking over Twitter would be a bad thing or a good thing. This guy from a country which has very repressive media laws and all that sort yeah. of stuff, and now you're having a debate between Elon Musk and Prince uh, Al Walid mm. about. <laughs> We are living in hell. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a curious time. Of course, uh, what Elon Musk could do uh, if he ends up being rejected and the poison pill is activated is that he could spend all of his money buying Netflix shares because they've gone through the floor. This is, my, this is yeah. one interesting thing which I've seen this week that, that Netflix has just tanked. Why? Uh, I don't know how this has happened to Netflix. I'm quite surprised. Because they're not, are they losing customers? Yes. But is it because so they, after, actually lost, they okay. went down in so overall it's not, subscribers. It's not that the growth has slowed down. It's actually that they now have people leaving. Their target for the quarter, and I just found this, this their, their, their target for the quarter was to add two and a half million new subscribers, right? And worldwide. You, worldwide. And when you consider the fact they closed their, they closed Russia, so Russians can't. Yeah go on Netflix that okay. lost them 700,000 okay. if you took up the whole impact of the war in Ukraine as losing them say a million subscribers okay, okay. one million they would, that would be one million right okay. mm. they were still so they'd be down to say in an ideal world they'd be adding a million and a half well they didn't add a million and a half they lost 200,000 Oops, which is really bad. And like people are pointing out that like is Netflix value for money? Some of this is going to come down to the cost of living. Mm. Like yeah. Netflix has increased its subscription yeah, and, fees. And that there was reports in Britain as well, isn't there? Some some official statistics body that has found that people are now cutting the cord because they just can't afford. How much is Netflix a month now? Uh, the mo- I think the middle of the road package in Ireland has just gone to fourteen ninety nine a month. Mm. I mean, I remember I, signing I, up when it was yeah. only See, I'm one of these people who has subscriptions to stuff that I don't even realise I've subscribed. I need to, like, I know, to do a, I know, yeah, digital, not a digital I know, detox, yeah. Well, I think I of. actually have two yeah. subscriptions to Apple TV on, like, separate devices and oh everything. Like, I know I'm actually well, I just not find, great. It is just very interesting because, like, some of this mm. is that people are going to be a lot more selective because the cost of everything is up. Mm. Now, when you have yeah. this monthly expense, which is something which is frivolous and there's other competitors out there like mm. your, your, your whatever other yeah. subscription service if you have any other TV package anyway like yeah. the one that we work for for yeah. example well I was just going to say about the one that have. we work yeah. for and just to be honest like I'm not I wouldn't have a lot like we're out working a lot to be honest so I don't have a lot of time to be watching the Netflix and the, and the different things like that. but obviously Redemption has been on on Virgin Media mm. and we obviously have Virgin Media more since last week now and just again maybe like there was an email sent out and I should have known about this internally but like I can't get over actually how good the box set section is on the Virgin Media 
media box actually I know I'm sorry this no, you're looking at me con. this no. is no it's not I'm, I'm actually saying it because I didn't know like yeah. I didn't actually realize that mm. so I suppose like you know when you do have so many subscription services and then you kind of do with your own like TV package at yeah, home you have kind so of many overlook some options. of the yeah. and services that yeah, are there yeah and when you actually go and have a quick look at what's mm. actually there that you're already getting in your primary package what it's thought, actually not more than you realize what I thought was curious about the Netflix thing is that they say that as part of their revenue protection thing they're going to try and clamp down on what every millennial has done which is basically share their password with someone else so you can be logged in on multiple devices so that you can share your account with your partner or your brother or they your really parents you can't really do that now can you well they oh my god you're what? smiling you definitely <laughs> do that do you know what I, no, oh I my actually god, don't oh, I'm no. actually reminded of his thing oh my god yeah, the yeah, Netflix, the Netflix, the Netflix is stretching from Dublin to West Cork the Netflix the Netflix buzz there it just reminds me that you wouldn't download a car thing so it's like you like it's just it's just fine it's like well they're hardly going to stop this like I mean I don't know how to put it's going to be very difficult to stop because people are inherently mobile like you know but isn't it like you can't use the same account you you spending some time in in Dublin and West Cork you could be legitimately moving from Dublin to West Cork you could be moving from Dublin to West Cork or to Waterford I could be moving from Dublin people are transient or maybe Kilkenny from time to time but those are legitimate places that you'd be so it's very difficult then to render that as illegitimate somehow heel of the real of this is that Netflix may now soon have ads so wow even yeah. when you're paying for it you have to watch yeah, the ads they might, have a, they might, have, they might reduce no. the subscription the talk is they might have a lower I'll be gone subscription now. fee I'll actually be gone if that happens if, if, if you're ads. prepared to take no. ads I'm not watching ads if I'm paying for it. it it would kind of to me that would completely destroy the binge culture that you, you'd never like sit down and watch yeah. four or five episodes of Drive to Survive or Queer Eye or anything else on Netflix if there was What's ads in between I hold it against I hold it against Netflix I, I have no sympathy for Netflix ever since they got rid of dating around Oh, we loved that. Program. Yeah, we loved Richard and I watched <laughs> what Dating Around. We loved it. this to me now. What's Dating Around? It's, it's a pretty it was, straightforward dating show. Yeah, but so basically it would be like a guy or a girl or whatever would go on a date, but it would be they would repeat the same date, wouldn't they, three times? Oh, I yes. think I saw And they'd wear the same box. outfit and everything yes. okay. three times and um, they would go out with different But it was actually really interesting to see kind of the dynamic between the different right. characters. We didn't yeah. always guess who they'd pick at the uh, end. Right. We weren't it was always the, the, right. The yeah. least predictable of the, the Netflix dating It was one shows. of the better dating shows, though, I think, in terms of like, it was kind of somewhere between maybe first dates. It was a first dates element to it, I would say, with the dinner aspect Isn't of it. it and how, how Netflix has sort of developed a bit of a niche. Way, Phenomenal. <laughs> this is the greatest what news. I'm sure you're learning is. so much about current affairs right now. <laughs> Isn't it mad how Netflix has developed a niche for like <laughs> real sort of oddball dating shows? Like what's the other Ultimatum. one? They... We watched the other one, Love is Blind. That's the one. We watched yeah. that one, yeah. Yeah, but they've also developed a really weird. We niche watched for, all the Netflix dating shows, game shows together. Oh, yeah. I got like bizarrely into um, Awake, the million dollar game show that they commissioned, which was some. The rules are the conceit of it being uh, people had to stay awake for twenty four hours counting coins and then uh, participate in a series of challenges which would exploit the fact that they were sleep deprived and if at the end they were able to keep a rough tally of how much coins they'd counted in the previous twenty four hours, then they, they would. One of them could this sounds like a terrible show. It, it's strangely compelling. Oh, I don't think I'd watch I'm, I'm that. Sorry, I'm really sorry. We are on such a bizarre tangent it was here. Fine. We're, we're I have to now. Google something there because one of our colleagues, Rob O'Hanran, told me about a new Netflix show and I was like, I don't believe this is a thing. Is it, is it what fake? is it? <laughs> 
Uh, Netflix, okay, here's the headline from CBS News. Netflix series sparks debate about whether toddler participants are old enough. Um, the name of the show is Old Enough. What? The name old of the show is un, old unsupervised, unsupervised Toddlers. It's from Japan. It's a blockbuster, blockbuster series. Uh, and it basically gets toddlers to go around <laughs> running no, errands know. and completing tasks in busy cities. I'm like, <laughs> and it asks whether or not they're old enough to be doing this. <laughs> it's just absolutely mental. I just don't even understand. I just like, don't get it. It's like, what happens? Why, why are they commissioning this stuff? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> would you watch that if there were ads in the middle of it? I don't no. know. Okay, but well, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, no, so I wouldn't watch Actual that. Actual program. Can I ask you, have you actually watched Redemption yet? No. I oh, lads, please watch it so we can talk about it. Will you um, watch it, please? Have, have you watched Is It Cake? Netflix's no, but can I just finish on Redemption by saying that I watched all six episodes because you can get it on on demand. I didn't mm. know this. Like, I know I feel like I'm delaying something that everyone probably knew. You definitely knew. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a company man, so, you know. Well, yeah, I'm going to start reading the company emails from now on. <laughs> I hope the boss doesn't listen to this. Um, but the six episodes of Redemption back to back, so, so good. Such good drama. And um Waterford actor Mo Dunford is in it and he's absolutely brilliant. He's scary, but he's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that you were actually covering, um, Zara, over the, the long weekend was a fairly unfortunate twist about some people who had obviously made the very long and, and very arduous mm. trip to Cork, uh, come all the way from uh, Ukraine, one of now around 25,000 people who have made their journey to come and seek refuge in this country and uh, managed to arrive into a fairly substellar uh, conditions? Well, uh, the conditions weren't necessarily the issue. I mean, they they arrived, or they were in substellar condition when they arrived as yes, opposed so to the yeah. actual location. Yes. Yeah. So this was um, a temporary camper centre that was set up in Bantir in Cork and uh, they arrived at around eight o'clock on Saturday night. But when they, as they arrived, they weren't actually feeling very well and um, it was a gastroenteritis type illness and uh, they were actually very, very sick uh, over the weekend. And uh, two or maybe three people were hospitalised as a result of that. Yeah. So really difficult I mean you know you're so far from home and, and just yeah. to, you know anyone who's had gastroenteritis absolutely horrific oh illness yeah. well, like, you know. it, like, so it is worth stressing that this was a condition that they'd all contracted before they arrived in this yeah. particular centre but just yeah. after the, the length of the journey that they'd had and if yeah. this centre was going to be where they were going to be seeking yeah. refuge for a while for, for that to be the circumstances that you arrive into is it's pretty awful. Oh, it's pretty awful. I mean, yeah. in fairness, there was medical teams on site straight away and they were, you know, they were given as uh, the best of care on yeah. site and everything and well looked after. But I suppose it could just kind of speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, it's been such a difficult time for, for people. And then to be arriving into kind of a communal centre like that, I suppose we've spoken about it before. It's just the, the type of accommodation that we're in a position to now offer people, I suppose, is is not, it's not own door accommodation yeah. and it's, it's not, a, you know, it's, it's, it's people are doing yeah. their best, of course, and, and these communities are coming together and, and organising these centres, but it is, it's, it's not mm. ideal. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
But on that note, actually, Richard, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, and you've been speaking this evening to the minister responsible for this whole program, Roderick Gorman, and he's mm-hmm. been underlining just how short accommodation is going to be now. Yeah, I think uh, like his direct quote was, "We're under real pressure," and that's been emanating really from government and people who are involved in the effort to try and provide mm-hmm. accommodation to people fleeing from Ukraine. Like that is that is the mood. That is very much the reality of what's happening now is that things are so constrained that we are now seeing places uh, like the Mill Street Arena in County mm-hmm. Cork mm-hmm. now being used from this week. Um, it's probably going to be full to capacity this weekend. Wow, um, and we are likely to see more of these centres used in the weeks ahead. Uh, and when, like, when you say that it's full to capacity, because the intention for centres like that or Gormanston or City West was that it would only be a short-term place where you mm. might be put up for a night or two mm. after you arrive until they figure out where you can go more sustainably. And if they're going to have to start using that as interim housing in its own right, yeah. and it's going to be full within a couple of days... It just speaks to how chronically short the, the circumstances are going to be very, very soon. And it's, it's very tight. We've been yeah. here for five, this is our fifth week doing this now. Do you not remember like week one, we were kind of going, oh, it might get, it might, you know, it might become really challenging. And here we are, week five. Yeah, we're mm, hitting yeah, breaking no, point now. And, and, so and the number five is weeks still we under 30,000. And if the numbers that yeah. are projected by government, which are into the six figures, do materialise, then we will have exhausted all the low hanging fruit, all the hotels, B&Bs, guest houses, and a lot of community centres very shortly yeah. and then then what are your options and it, it's it's just going to be a serious um, ask for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, it's the French election this weekend who have you got who have you got <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean vote for the one that you uh, you know dislike <laughs> the least well, I guess well this is kind of what it's become I mean like, it kind it, of has become that hasn't it? it it has become a debate like a contest about which one you like least like that that's how yeah. it's become so this is the, the second round of the election which is this coming Sunday in fact on the evening that we're recording this there is the final big debate between Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen so it's possible there could be something major that erupts out of that which changes the dynamic but it is remarkable that this is a contest not between two people who are both immensely popular Mm. and who have the wins at their backs it is almost literally a case of which one of them is France prepared to tolerate for the next five years Yeah Yeah, and it's but I think it was in the first round. The first, so I, I love the way that the French do these elections. Mm. That there's a first round and then top two go through. Yeah. And yeah. then all the other candidates are like, ah, we can pick one of these two. So mm. uh, vote for that but guy. It's, it's sort of like yeah. what we have. It's like, except you, no, have two, like you have two weeks to decide who your second preference goes yeah. to. But it's it's just very... Whereas we just do it straight away. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, like right. now. It's, 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 it's kind of more now. With yeah. uh, Do you always vote by the way the whole way down when you vote? Yes. You just vote Yes. Unless I make an awful mistake somewhere along the ballot. Where I'm like, oh no, there's You've not. you lost Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I generally yeah. do, yes. Because yeah. Yeah, I just like the idea of making my ballot paper work. No, really so do I. Well. I like to feel like I've used the whole thing. Uh, what is kind of remarkable about France though, and this is, uh, just indulge me for a couple of seconds in my sort of political nerdiness. Um, it is yet another country in which the two established parties have just completely gone out the window. Yeah. Because mm. um, it, the best way to explain it is people who don't follow it. It's sort of like uh, in Britain how for generations there's been the Conservatives and Labour and they were the two parties that basically just rotated in and out and they were the only ones that ever ran the country. And France has its equivalent. It has the Republicans, which would be the Conservative equivalent and the Socialist Party, which would be the Labour equivalent. And between them, they basically rotated the country for the last 50 or 60 years. And in the last election, then Macron came along as this kind of new guy, this kind of... I represent something different. And people went, yeah, great, different, brilliant. Let's go for different. And they elected him uh, over Marine Le Pen. 
And because the other two parties just haven't been on the agenda, they, they've just completely dropped off the face of the planet. Like the the, the Republicans, the British, the French equivalent of the British Tories, came fifth yeah. in the first the party yeah. of Chirac. The, yeah, and the, 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 the Socialists came seventh. Yeah. That's the yeah. last party. Francois, or, um, Francois Hollande, the last president before Macron, was a Socialist party. He came seventh. Shocking. Uh, so what we have now is. That. When, Basically, as we're coming wow, down to the end of things. Oh, that's your running order. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it's back. This is everyone's it's favorite back. French meme from today. So, yes. Yeah. So Emmanuel Macron's photographer has basically just taken to posting What's photos happening? Of... Is that his chest? Yeah, yeah. Is that a cat? No, that's, no, that's, that's his, his actual chest. His chest hair. Yeah. Why are you posting that? I don't know, France. Oh, I don't know. I feel like they're going for the sex appeal factor with Macron I don't want this, in, I don't want this yeah. in Ireland. I mean, I don't want this in Ireland. <laughs> what's happened in France, uh, France to, to put a cap on it, what's happened in France is that you have Macron, uh, who is trying to become the first... I thought that was a cat. No, that's his actual chest, unfortunately. <laughs> I really must urge anyway. people who are only listening to this in audio format really should check it out on YouTube or on the Virgin Media Player just to see it's the picture four of... buttons, five buttons of a shirt open. He's, it's very it's French. A bit much now. Um, a bit so much. Macron is sort of maybe could be like... So imagine Mio Martin doing that. Like seriously. I actually don't, don't, actually don't imagine So it's like Macron that. is a Liberal Democrat. It's like Le Pen is sort of UKIP and Le Pen has been made to look more hospitable because there's now someone who looks like the BNP who makes it look like it's extraordinary. But if, if Marine Le Pen were to win, and it's screensaver now. Just keep looking at it. <laughs> no, I'm trying to take it off my screen. <laughs> it's hard to do things and listen. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep drawing this analogy while you try to get rid of that image of Emmanuel Macron's chest hair uh, from your, your mental mind. So gross. Um, if Marine Le Pen were to win, Marine Le Pen says she's not in favour of this idea of Frexit anymore. But everything that she advocates would sort of require France to leave the EU anyway. And that would mean that the EU itself would be a pretty gormless empty vehicle if France suddenly decided oh, to yeah. the party. Yeah. It changes the EU, it changes NATO, it yeah. changes yeah. entirely the, mm. the entire and, Western And it would leave Manuel Macron with a lot more time to deal with his chest grooming. Which is a very important. Probably a, would which be is everyone's individual, individual choice and we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go into the mailbag uh, because we just definitely need to just kind of cleanse our minds yes. from that, that uh, mental and literal image. Um, somebody has asked the question, a, lot, a few of us have got this question. By the way, every week we are now going to, to uh, do this. We're on Instagram. The day before we, we do the recording, we're going to pop up question boxes that people can send in ideas for stuff they'd like us to talk about or questions they have for the three of us. Uh, one question which has come up quite a bit actually in the last couple of, of days is um, how do you all park your personal feelings when you're covering a difficult story? Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> no, well, I mean, look, I think obviously it's really important for us in the job to, you know, be able to kind of disconnect from it when you're at work and do the job. But I also think it's kind of important not to lose sight of um, having feelings and having yeah. a bit of empathy and human compassion. Mm. I think that's a really big part of the job, actually. So I think like, yes, you have to park your feelings as in, you know, as journalists, like, you know, we don't have, our opinion does not matter in this situation. You know, like our job is to go in, find the facts, ask the questions, give you the facts, you make your own mind up. My opinion doesn't matter to our viewer or our listener or our reader or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to park it in that context. But I also think as well, you have to be human to do this job. You have to care yeah. about people. Empathy for me personally is a big part of one of the, the biggest tools that I have in terms of doing this job. I don't know, would you feel the same way about it? I feel I actually have a great example of this or just an example that's very recent to me is like when I was doing the book about um, COVID last year. A state of emergency. Yeah. All good yeah. Um, but like a lot of that was about pre people's, people's personal stories mm. and um, a lot of stuff like these aren't people who are in the public eye. They are ordinary people like you or I or anybody who's listening. Um, to the worst thing that'll ever happen to them happened. They lost a loved one. Um, they themselves were very sick. And just when you're collecting and trying to put to words all these stories as they happened, I felt huge responsibility 
to do it and to do it well. Obviously, they're going to read it. I freaked out basically about putting the book out there. Yeah, you um, did. You were you were stressed about that for that I, reason. Uh, no, it was, it was, it wasn't just. I think stress undersells it because it. of the responsibility of trying to tell their story. Yeah, it's because they don't. Ask, they didn't ask. They never asked me in a situation where they're doing an interview about losing a loved one. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Whether that's a father, a mother, a grandmother, you know, a brother, a sister, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I just felt this overwhelming thing. And like, you know, I know we're all meant to and people are always like, oh yeah, you should be able to disconnect and all that sort of stuff. I don't like, there's an element as your sort of sayings are where mm. you're not human if you're not feeling the emotion of what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think you're connecting with the person whose story is being told to you if you're an emotionless robot in it. Mm. Um, no, so I felt feelings for people. It's just a lot. It was just a lot to sort of go on. I probably think, I think so it was basically anything from the last, last two months of last year first month of this year very much just sort of like wrapped up in all that mm. it's really mm. difficult I have to say and I just do think that you need to be able to sort of I suppose like I don't think you can fully ever bring yourself out of situation like I spent hours I was waking up in the middle of the night just freaking out about what people whose stories were in the book how they felt about it now in the end everybody was really happy with that and everybody was just like really grateful for the opportunity to do it but like but it probably turned out to... well because you did care about it. Do you know That's what I mean? Yeah, like, I do think that's the kind of, yeah. Maybe you're able yeah. to channel the concern about it, which which I think is possibly maybe where we all kind of have to be, that it's mm-hmm. very easy to get motivated or to become emotional about the story that you're covering. But I think part of the knack of what we have to do is that you have to be able to channel that in certain mm-hmm. ways. Exactly. So you're you need no, to be able to you're use no that use as to motivation for something. You're no use to anybody if, if, if like you are getting yourself to a point where you can't actually function. Because you're overwhelmed by it. Because then, yeah. well, you're not being, you won't be telling the story properly. You won't be asking the right questions yeah. to follow up with yeah. things because you are just, mm. you're in over your head on it. But like, just that's just an example of, of just one of these things where it just sort of, that sort of the emotion of these things can be quite difficult to sort of unwrap yourself mm. from. Have you ever found that yourself, Cal? Have you ever um, There's actually only a couple of days that I can remember going home from work and being really sort of emotionally bothered by some of the stuff mm. that I covered, actually. Um, a couple of them were actually around the bank guarantee, um, funnily enough. Remember some, some of the days when some of the, the documentation from 2010 was published. I remember there being a long-running saga involving the European Central Bank and not publishing some of the letters that were sent to the Irish government around the time of, of the uh, the bailout. And... Just being like going home and being being really, just really, really upset about this idea that some unelected Eurocrat somewhere in the European Central Bank or somewhere in Brussels could decide, well, we're basically going to kill your banks tomorrow unless you agree to cede sovereignty and let us impose all these draconian rules on how you're going to run your life. Um, I'm kind of lucky enough. I'm generally, one thing that I'm quite good at is compartmentalizing. So I tend not to, to be able to bring work home too much that I'm, I'm very in work when I'm there and then when I go home it doesn't sort of follow me as much but yeah there's there's times where you, you like and because they're few and far between I remember them other times covering clerical abuse stories or safeguarding reports mm-hmm. in different dioceses and mm-hmm. seeing the extent to which people try to engage in cover-ups and, and they do bother you but um, I'm somewhat lucky in that they don't follow me as home as maybe as much as they do for I feel, I feel like the mother and baby home stories <clears throat> yeah. for some reason always get me I just find those really really hard ones to work on actually mm. I just feel with that one like with those I just think there's an element of just stuff hasn't been processed mm, I mm. totally agree um, yeah. on a sort of a big macro level but then mm. it's just such individual horrors and 
awful situations for so many families. Yeah. But I think in this job yeah. as well, like it is good. I know you're saying you don't like you try not to bring it home and stuff. I personally find that like it is good to talk about it with people that you're close to afterwards, you know, that you can kind of decompress. Sometimes I feel like if you're on a big story and there's something like a big tragedy and you, you've been working on it for three and four days, like just it's not the time to get upset like you have to just stay kind of yeah. level about it you have to yeah. see, see the story through yeah almost. it's and then but it's you can get to the end of the week like yeah. we would have been like that when we lived yeah. together to tell your story for you but you guys when you lived together for most of the pandemic you yeah. guys have been very open about how great it was to have someone else who yeah, was, was kind of in similar it? positions to yourself yeah. to even when you were writing the book you would come home like you would be like I suppose and like I made a documentary on COVID as well we both kind of had done a lot of these personal stories during COVID that we were able to come home and kind of talk to one another about it and process it together which was helpful and I think the three of us being friends as well to mm. be fair like I do think we talk about it a lot and I think that's really helpful I think it's healthy to talk about it and I think it's okay to get upset about it actually yeah yeah. you know that's what I would say so yeah. it's a really good question actually whoever sent mm. that yeah, in it, it is a great that. question so, something which dovetails a little bit actually on one of your points there Richard is that someone would ask us to talk about the working conditions for non-consultant hospital uh, or so-called junior doctors uh, because mm. that's looking like it might be going towards industrial action, which is a story which feels like it's been running for literally a quarter of a century. Mm. It's what well, it is. It's a never ending story. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, even uh, I think one of the th- points which is always made to me by NCHDs, so non-consultant hospital doctors, is there any other job title in the country where you're describing people by what they're what they're not? What or they're not. not. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, what's the identity non- of? Yeah some of the most valuable people in our health yeah. service. Oh, well, you're not, well, a, consultant. You're not a consultant. Yeah. Mm. Your hospital or doctor, you're described you're then as either as a junior doctor. Is yeah. It's like, well, a lot of these people are working. Are quite senior, you know, actually, years. in their positions yeah. and quite it's, highly it's just, experienced. It is actually, like, yeah. and like, I mean, it, you can see the attraction for, for these people of going to Australia or going to the UK. Yeah. And a lot of them are. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and we, you were making this point, Sarah, that this is something which is going to be a conveyor belt almost of many people. I remember explicitly in May 1995, uh, being in a car journey where I heard a news story. I was literally eight years old at the time and I remember listening to the radio news and they were talking about how there was a prospect of junior doctors, as they were then casually referred to, going on strike about their working conditions. And that was May 1995. And the reason I specifically remember it is because I was going to a pub. We didn't have Sky at the time and I was going to a pub to watch the final day of the Premier League season where Man United fell short to Blackburn Rovers. Uh, I got hit in the face with a pool cue that day. I lost half of my front tooth. Wow. Um, which is the, yeah. the other thing that I specifically remember today. But I specifically remember driving in the car, like expecting, listening in because I was going to hear the sports news and they mm. might talk about the big soccer that was happening that afternoon. Yeah. And they were talking about the junior doctors might go on strike because their working hours are so crazy. And we're still talking about it 27 years later. Yeah. And these are people that we rely on so heavily. They're the backbone of the health service. I mean, you remove them from the system and it just falls apart. Yeah. And to be still in this situation and to, you know, and especially at a time when a lot of these doctors are people then who have to advise their patients to take better care of themselves and they'll tell patients, you know, don't overwork yourself, you know, mm-hmm. mind yourself. You know, wellness is really important. Yeah. And they're the same people who actually can't practice what they preach because of the terms yeah, and conditions of their employment. Such crazy hours. Yeah, which is like, I saw actually like... um a friend of mine who's a doctor had tweeted something there recently where she had said um, that she was asked to work a weekend and she said to the rostering person, look, I've worked the last three or four weekends, you know, I'd really like to see my husband. And the response she got back was, well, like your husband married a doctor. So like he knew what he was getting into. She's like, well, my bad. I thought my husband thought he was marrying a person, actually. So, <laughs> wow, you know, you and that's really good doctors, like as good doctors. 
as much as good nurses and other good people in the mm. health service is just such an important thing to the experience of people and their families who go through hospitals mm. and can be there for a very long length of time. They'll always tell you who the good doctors and the good nurses were yeah. mm. and how important they were. Yeah. I think that's just like, not like, great to hear. Aside from the institutional idiocy of spending so much money and so much resources and putting so much expertise into trying to cultivate really good medical practitioners, and then making the conditions so inhospitable that you're driving them away again and losing all of the institutional input that you've had into trying to make really good practitioners out of them. And mm. just it just seems like it's such a, a wild way to do it. Final question that we have time for this week. And by the way, thank you for everyone who has sent in questions. Do please keep them coming. Uh, we will open, as I said, question boxes on our various Instagrams uh, so you can get in touch before the next episode. Um, Emma wants to know, and this was a message that she sent to Richard's question box. How do you and Zara have so many unread emails that would give me anxiety? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Emma, that also gives me anxiety because I, I, I freak out about how many notifications you have. We have been in the studio now for about 50 minutes or so. I have seven unread emails. I have no unread WhatsApps. I have no unread emails or, or text messages. I have no notifications at all on my phone. <laughs> Would you like to tell the class, Zara King, how many emails you've got unread on your phone? So I have 256 unread WhatsApps. That's, that's not even unread WhatsApp. That's unread WhatsApp conversations. Yeah, I have 256, 256 unread WhatsApp conversations. So if you've been getting in touch with Zara King and you want to know why you've been... Uh, like, I don't text anyone unread. back. So if I haven't texted you back, don't worry about it. I don't text anyone back. Do not take offence to that. No, like, yeah. honestly, like, you're in a really elite group of people that I just... I don't text anybody okay. back. If I do text you back, like, you're the real deal. Um, 13,253 oh. unread emails, which is nothing because you cleared that out not so long ago, because really. I, because I do this every so often. I sit down with you in front of your Gmail know, and we yeah. mark all of I your I don't like when you messages. do that anymore, though. I think I like to feel the bulk around me now. What, like it's a comfort blanket. I think it might got. be. He's worse than me. This and is emails. the reason why you've missed all the emails about how good our internal TV products are. Stop going on about that. that. I'm going to get fired. Uh, Richard, out how like... many unread emails have you got? Uh, a nice round number, 33,444. I salute you for that, nice. my friend. I think a, it's, it's a nice number. It is a nice number. A actually, I want, I want to stay at that. So I will start like peeling back emails as they arrive in. I know. Keep it at 33. Uh, I, th I, th I thought I did clear them out because I actually didn't realise until you put up that thing where you can just mark them all as red. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's been going on about that for years. Yeah. I that's just, his, like, that's his bit. He does and, that and as a bit. And we're going to do it as soon as we're finished I know, but here. see, like, here's the thing, like, I also have a number of voice notes that you said you had a problem with me not naming yes, them. Yes, so we, before we came on air, you, you went into your voice note recordings and you have... Which I use every day for work. Which is fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but you have 245 uh, recordings. Yeah. None of which have been renamed. Uh, so you have... No, there's one there. Oh, yeah. Look, I've named that one. Okay. So why, why did you name that one and not name any of the 245 ah. others? Oh, look, I have one of my dogs snoring. My dog that died. Yeah, I named that, that one. So I could find that one. Okay. I liked the sound of his breathing. God bless him. Um, I've named some of them. That one's just called Zara Audio. Like, who knows what that means? <laughs> just you. We all are in a way, Zara Yeah, audio. I mean, they yeah. actually are. Yeah, they are all yeah, in a yeah. way. Okay. Uh, I promise that if you do uh, message any of us that, well, like, I can't promise it for Zara, frankly, but the rest of us will at least uh, try to make some efforts to read anything that you've said to us. Uh, I so do, do read. No, sorry, people message me all the time. I do read the messages on Instagram. I just don't always get back to people. I try to get back to people on Instagram. Okay. I really do uh, make a hard effort on that one. If you do want to get in touch with any of the three of us, we're all on Instagram. Richard is at News Chambers. Uh, Zara is at ZaraKing.News and I am at Gav Riley. Do get in touch with any of your thoughts about this week's group chat uh, and uh, watch us watch out for the, the questions box before next week's episode and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. But that is all that we've got time for us. In the meantime, thank you, Zara King. Thank you, Gavin. Thank Riley. you, Richard Chambers. Thank you. And thank you to everyone else for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.